It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 294, The Kingdom Parables, Part 5, The Seven Kingdom Parables, The Seven Churches, and The Seven Sayings of Jesus on the Cross. Do you like riddles, jokes, meanings behind meanings? God does. It's what he does. Think about the number seven. Every single time in scripture it's used is a meaning behind it, the completeness of God. The number 10 is the order of God. Number 12 is unity and government. The list goes on and on. Take the names of the law of first mention in scripture. There's a repeat theme, a theme behind the theme. Did you know if you took the name meanings of the genealogy from Noah, from actually Adam to Noah, you actually get a phrase? The phrase is, man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring despairing rest. Is this not what Jesus did? There's meanings behind the meanings of scripture. There's many more of these connections, even in the names of God. It's how we understand and know him. It's how we see he is above any and everything. It's a divine nature of things. The deeper you dig into the word, the more you learn about the nature of the character and supremacy of Christ. Now let's just have a little fun. I know we parked this podcast for about two months or more on these parables, but this episode is why we did it. There's connections and connections between the seven kingdom parables, the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross, and the seven churches of Revelation. Um, you can look at the artwork of this episode to kind of see a kind of a grid or a chart that we made. But let's just dive right in. And, and the history lover that I am, well, let's just do this. It's a super tie-in, prophetic outlook, and something we just have to do. Uh, all right, seven kingdom parables. Now, I, I do have to start with the parables, and we have to kind of put them in order for this all to tie out. It's in the order that they're written in Matthew 13. And, and here's the order. Believe it or not, there is historic tie-ins even to the order of Jesus' last words as well. Here's the kingdom parables in order again. The parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and tares, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl, and the parable of the net. Now, when we taught on these, we didn't exactly go in those order, but that's the order that they are in Matthew 13. All right, let's start with the first one. The parable of the sower. The first thing Jesus said on the cross was, Father, forgive them for what they do. For for what they do. The first church in the book of Revelation from Revelation 2 is Ephesus. Revelation 2.2. 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, but you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown wary. Historians, Bible scholars have three primary interpretations, and perhaps all of them are correct on the Revelation 2 and 3 churches. It's that they're a discernment of church conditions today. That's probably true. But also, there's a historic reflection of where we are, where we're headed. Um, there's actually dates and times that many scholars, many, many, many scholars have tied to these, um, these churches and the church ages that they represent. 
Um, and also the, the third interpretation is they're the literal letters to the current churches of their day, which is obvious and literal only. But if you take the historic outlook and pin historical conditions of the church and fit into the most appropriate timelines in human history, scholars point to the years 30 AD or 33 AD, however you want to see it, when Jesus dies on the cross to 100 AD as the age of the Ephesus church. And we presumptively match this to the kingdom parable. It's simple, actually. It's the parable of the sower. The sower is Jesus himself. And Jesus himself said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And let's just say the apostle Peter said that a hundred times over as they stoned him and eventually would behead him. Peter, James, John, all the apostles who faced death did it. Well, John didn't. He faced death, but he didn't actually die by the persecution. And did it. They, they faced death in this forgiving attitude and out of this world rejoicing and birthed the church through their persecution as thousands fell to the sword and persecution. Their blood being the seed, they were the righteous soil. Now let's go to the final church. Uh, words and parable. It's super simple to understand. It's the parable of the net, where the angels throw out the bad fish and keep the good fish. Where at the end of the age, where the church of Laodicea starts but ends in the rapture, where there is a mix of harvest, spiritual blindness, and spiritual breakthrough with the church, a great falling away. It's complicated, but it ends in the rapture where exactly that happens. The angels come and harvest the earth, and Jesus said these final words, it is finished. The spectacle of the earth's redemption and the ancient of days will come back to complete the age of the old earth as the old will be burned up with the new Jerusalem. Crazy, eh? I mean, the, the connections are fantastic. Now let's kind of keep going, right? So here's the second church, the wheat and the tares, right? The parable of the wheat and the tares ties with the church of Smyrna, 100 AD to 312 AD. And if you think about the the, the big events in church history, right? You've got Jesus on the cross. You've got the birthing of the apostolic church. You have the great persecutions. And then you get to Constantine um, past 300 AD. And then, then you have kind of a, a melting away, a erosion of the religion and the true faith. And then you get you have the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, however you want to call it, uh, because the word is kind of taken from the normal people. And then you have Martin Luther, um, and the Great Reformation. Um, and with that, these are these main church key leaders throughout history. These are the ones that are kind of the scholars pin the dates to uh, with, with the Reformation, with the rebirth of salvation and the Word of God being interpreted back into normal languages. Then you have um, missions movements, evangelistic movements, and you have all these different timelines after this. So these are part of the main events um, that trigger these kind of timelines. The wheat and the tares, right? So, you know, the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, you've got um, the devil who plants the bad seed um, within with the good seed. Uh, the church of Smyrna, you got the year um, 100 to 312 AD. Today, you'll sh you shall be with me in paradise. That was Jesus' words, his second words on the cross. The second of the parables is the wheat and the tares. This ties in with the second church in Revelation, Smyrna, which Jesus said nothing negative about. This was the apostolic church, the church fathers, a healthy believing church. Well, better put, it was the historic time frame of insane persecutions. 
the persecution during the time period. This time period was under the Roman emperors Trajan, Hadrian, Marcus Aurelius, Maximus, Decimus, Valerian, and Diocletian. In many cases, the emperors required Christians to deny their worship and worship the emperor or be executed. I mean, that... <laughs> That was a horrible time, but it was a most authentic time to birth the church. And during this time, the, there was also a horrific series of plagues. Often, not always, you can map plagues to persecutions. After all, right, law first mentioned, the plagues followed the persecution of the Israelites in Egypt. The plagues would follow a lot of the Roman persecutions. These persecutions separated the wheat and the tares, but despite this, the growth of Christianity was impossible to curve. Look at the catacombs in Rome. Crazy stories. So impossible to understand. It was like the Israelites in Egypt at the time of Moses. They multiplied. And no matter the violence committed, Christianity was expanding. And ever heard the expression, if you can't beat them, join them? Well, this was the tares. It was better for the devil to join with Christianity to destroy it than an attempt to again and again destroy it from the outside in. What happens next is the acceptance of Christianity by Constantine. Whether he was authentic and his conversion true, I don't know. But things shifted and the true faith started to shift with erroneous theology as the church and politics merged into one. Now you get to the parable of the mustard seed, the church of Pergamos. Uh, the time period of 312 to 606 AD. Women, behold thy son, behold thy father. Enter Constantine in the time of the mustard seed, the church of Pergamos. Everyone knows the history here. Constantine becomes the, as Roman emperor, he gets saved and becomes head of the church as well as head of the Roman empire. And then an infiltration comes in, into this pure church. And I picture it like this, whether intentional or not, I lived in very uh, religious Arkansas. Um, everyone was a Christian, but were they really? I met many true believers, but everyone claimed to be a Christian, even those caught stealing and lying. In some cases, everyone seemed religious in every way, but rarely did we see God's power when people prayed. Then we moved to Seattle, and it's a purely secular environment. It was like no other, no other Christians were very close to us. And you would, you would meet some at church and such, but when you did, they really stuck out But because normalcy in Seattle was lawlessness, crime, deceit in people. Uh, but when you met a Christian, they were a true believer. They believed and they prayed, and you know the Holy Spirit was working. It was harder to be a believer in Seattle, and true believers were believers not because of mom or dad or religion or society, but because they truly loved God and believed. Now that Christianity was the only accepted religion in the Roman Empire, everyone was Christian now, even those who were truly not Christians. The religion became watered down and secular. Was Constantine's conversion authentic? I think so. But it was the distortion over time that watered down the faith. Here's what Jesus said about the church of Pergamos. You have intolerance for Baalism, idolatry, and immorality. This speaks of the watering down of the faith through internal wickedness. The word tolerance makes the most sense. The fear of the Lord was not abided in this time. The purity of the church was gone. What comes next is the Middle Ages. 
There's a lot of talk about Middle Ages and how we shouldn't call it the Middle Ages anymore, but it's not necessarily a not true statement. I mean, there was so little innovation, and on a personal level, it's just a boring time in history. But it was, it's deadly indeed. And I mean, the death toll of humankind was scary. Uh, and now we arrive kind of at the Church of Thyatira, uh, the time period of 606 to 1517 AD, the parable of the yeast. And that makes sense, right? The yeast, it's is when um, darkness, uh, darkness really got into the bread, right? Like the, um, it was really intertwined in every aspect of society. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said on the cross. It's the Middle Ages, and everyone knows the history here. Salvation was almost seemed to be forgotten uh, in favor of religion. And one of the least interesting times in world history, plenty of things happened, but that's, that's a personal opinion. But nothing moved forward until the Reformation, it seems. Uh, the Dark Ages can be summed up with this thought. The common language of the day was German, English, or local dialects, but the Word of God was written only in Latin. And only scholars and clerks and pastors had access to the Word of God. There was a famine of the Word of God. The greatest achievement of Martin Luther was not the 95 Thesis, which was amazing, and the start of the Reformation, but it was the translation of the Bible as we know it into German. And to add to the famine of the Word of God, this timeline is the worst death tolls by percentage in all of human history. The Mongol invasions and conquests resulted in over 40 million deaths estimated, nearly 20% of the population from 1200 to 1405 AD. The Black Death, or bubonic plague, killed anywhere from 75 to 200 million people, nearly a quarter of the world's population, in a very short time frame from 1346 to 1353. And if those aren't enough, there's more. I mean, there was a, it was a horrible time to live. And it's no wonder the parable of the yeast reflects the timeline of the powerless, horribly ineffective church. This is what Jesus said about the church of Thyatira, tolerance for Jezebel, idolatry, and immorality. And it is no wonder in this, in this order, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mankind was nothing but rejected in this time, it seems, looking back on it. The next church, the next parable is the hidden treasure, the church of Sardis. Uh, the, uh, the time frame of 1517 to 1739 AD. And Jesus' words are, I thirst. What is the, um, what's the, what is he saying? Thirst for right, those who thirst and hunger for righteousness will be filled. And there are saints of God in this time who were hungry for the word of God. And they changed the world. On October 31st, Reformation Day, not Halloween, 1517, Martin Luther wanted a, a debate, and he posted 95 Thesis on a church door. Instead, like a viral post on social media today, it spread throughout Europe, and before he realized it, he created a confrontation with the most powerful force in Europe, the Catholic Church. The world changed on this day, and a million things were set in motion, resulting in the end of the Catholic Church's hegemony over Europe, the end of the Ro Holy Roman Empire, the widespread use of the printing press on religious matters, um, and free thinking and free thought. The interpretation of the Bible was now into local languages soon after. The most complicated of 30 years war, which resulted in 30 million deaths and the depopulation of Central Europe. 
and the rise of your European nationalism. These all started, it's like a timer all starts with this Reformation and Martin Luther. There was a freedom to think, to innovate, to conduct works of art. A new renaissance came after the Reformation with great thinkers like Leonardo da Vinci. Um, artists like Michelangelo were free to create. The new world was discovered. The age of exploration followed turning nationalism into imperialism. Resources abounded to those who invested in the confidence of the high seas. There's a, there's a lot in this 200-year time period from 1517 to 1739. Compare that to the previous 1,000 years. That's why the previous time period was called the Dark Ages. There was a famine of the Word of God with nothing but miserable events around it and little, little advancement compared to the other time periods. So back to Martin Luther. In the saints who gave their lives to bring back the Word of God, they hungered and they thirst for righteousness and they were filled. The next time period is the parable of the pearl, the Church of Philadelphia, 1739 to 1900 AD. It is finished. This is the time of harvesting. This is the time of the great, great evangelism and missions movements around the world. It was a time of great wealth and industrialization. Check out what Jesus said in Revelation 3.10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, will make, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave you. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I find this super interesting. This time period ends before the world wars and the birth of Israel. And this new Jerusalem he speaks of is not, you know, uh, you know, Jerusalem as we know it today. It's something different. But there are some symbolism. The time period of 1914 to 1945 was one of the worst times in human history. And it was a time of trial for all humans. The death toll from the Spanish flu, World War I and World War II, is estimated at 120 million people. Those who were kept from it were this generation. <laughs> For anyone who survived into 1948, they did in fact see a new Israel. And if you were alive in 1967, you saw a new Jerusalem controlled by Israel. But this is for another time and another teaching. As for the evangelical missionary church of Philadelphia, Jesus didn't say anything negative about them, for they were sending the word throughout the earth. The world was evangelized, and the greats like William Wilberforce helped to end slavery, and the freedom became a way of life in the United States, and his city, instrumental in its independence, was the city of Philadelphia by the same name. It was one of its capitals, and the astounding stories of missionaries went forth like the Moravians who sold themselves into slavery just to preach to the slaves in Africa. They would leave on ships, and at the back of the ships they would shout after selling their own physical, selling themselves into slavery so that they could evangelize to the slaves themselves. They would shout back from the boat as it left dock so that the lamb would be worthy of his suffering. This is a powerful time. The church was amazing in this time. The, the world, not always, but the church was strong. 
and, and we end with this time period of Laodicea, which if you look throughout history, it's a mixed bag. It really is. Uh, one would be embarrassed to live in Laodicea, considering what Jesus says about Laodicea. There's a whole lot more in store. So to end this episode, God is just so above history. And he actually wrote it all ahead of time. And I, and I hope you just didn't enjoyed our kind of romp through history. Um, it was fun to nerd out on history this time. Jesus' seven words on the cross, cross-sect them with the seven kingdom parables. It was so much fun. I live for this stuff. Thanks for going on this journey today. If you like what you heard, let me know. One day we will get to Revelation 2 and 3, and we'll do this again uh, and maybe take it even deeper. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Check out the website, messagetokings.com. Feel free to connect with us at messagetokings at gmail.com.